Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Whatever Wando. I am your host Wando and this week we have one of our first controversies. Uh, sometimes on these episodes we have a what if or we have a conspiracy we're trying to figure out. This time we have something we know for sure happened and that is Bounty Gate with the New Orleans Saints. So we're going to analyze who was involved, how it affected the Saints and how it affected the NFL. Let's get right into it. So welcome everybody to the first whatever Wando episode of the new year, 2022. It sounds like a made up year. It makes me laugh. Like if you went back to some of the 1920s, who like obviously they knew, you know, time's going to pass. These years will happen. But like back then, like the year 2000 would sound ridiculous to them. Like 2022, it just sounds like a made up year. Uh, it may be just because, like, time just feels like an illusion right now that we're all just living the same day, day after day, uh, in this weird reality that we all have right now. 2020 was rough. 2021 was also rough. And then, of course, 2021 went out like a bastard taking Betty White with it, you know, on, you know, unfortunately, you know, she was, I think she was pretty close to her 100th birthday. So rest in peace to her. And, you know, thoughts and prayers to her friends and family. But you can see based online, she left a huge impact, not only in Hollywood, but just like on the world. Um, it just seems like she was pretty well liked, which when we all leave, I think that's a pretty great thing that we could all hope for. Is that when, when we're gone, that people remember us and they remember us fondly. Uh, but kind of moving on from that. Uh, yeah, it's 2022. It's January 4th. If you ever wonder how much, you know time I put in sometimes before these episodes. Some of them I have, you know, you know, ready to go, ready to load up on the day. Others I do the day of. I have a history of procrastination. Not gonna lie, that's kind of who I am. Uh, I guess not who I am with the lying part. Like, I definitely still lie about stuff. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna keep on putting out new content. Uh, I really appreciate you guys' support. You know, 2021 was the year this podcast started, late in the year. Um, but I appreciate everyone who listens, uh, follows me on my social media accounts at, at whatever Wando on Twitter or at whatever underscore Wando on Instagram. I really appreciate it. Um, I just want you guys to know that I don't take you listening uh, for granted. And with that said, I should probably get to something entertaining so that you enjoy what you're listening to. And we're talking about the Bounty Gate, you know, scandal uh, that happened with the New Orleans Saints that took place, um, I believe, and I should know this, I have a notebook right in front of me, which is, there's another, you know, peek behind the curtain, like I have notes in front of me. Um, It happened between 2009, 2011. I remember doing, when I did the research for this, I didn't think it lasted as long as it did, but it did. It just, like, wasn't uncovered till later. But it's the Bounty Gate scandal. Before I get into it, I want to just take a moment here and just say we need to stop putting gate at the end of every damn thing that happens in the world. 
like, sports feels like it's really taken it over. But, like, everything gets gate at the end. And if, for those of you who are too young or don't know, you know, history um, and understand, like, why is gate put at the end of everything, it goes back to President Nixon. And basically, uh, there was a break-in involving the Democratic Na- National like Party, their headquarters, um, and it was at the Watergate complex, therefore the Watergate scandal. It made sense. It was the name of the location. So, of course, that makes sense. You know, Bounty Gate. Where is the gate involved? There was, like, I don't get why we're adding it to everything. Like, Deflate Gate. All these dumb things that we keep on adding gate to. It doesn't fit. Like, who, whoever is teaching journalism class... Whoever is the next big writer, you know, the teacher at a sports journalism school, I need you to tell them, just like I've told people before, like, hey, you don't start a sentence with and or because, I need you to tell people to stop naming everything gate. Because, once again, Watergate made sense. The break-in happened at the Watergate complex. Everything doesn't need a gate at the end of it. But, you know, that's another one of my rambles. Uh, you know, sometimes we ramble and I like to ramble. I'm a big fan of it. Sometimes you make good decisions with your rambling. Sometimes you make bad decisions. Speaking of bad decisions, Antonio Brown, I made the bad decision of starting you in my fantasy football finals. This isn't really the episode to talk about that, but I just want you to know you cost me one of my fantasy football leagues because you decided to quit. Uh, I definitely think something's wrong with him. I'd like, once again, this is all speculation. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I would definitely get paid a lot more if I was, uh, but yeah, I'm still mad at him. I won one of my leagues and I won the, I lost the other. Once again, this is not the episode for that, but it's all Antonio Brown's fault. And I just need to get it out there that Antonio Brown, you owe me $200 and a wrestling belt that I would have won if I just didn't start you, or you just would have met your expectations and like not quit a game in the third quarter. All right, whatever. So in this episode, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, not our usual segments. Um, we're going to do, uh, first of all, just some background information on it. We're kind of a, a little bit like, what do we know? But I'm not really giving these titles. Maybe as I go along with more controversies, I'll think of them. But I don't want to just make them up for the sake of making them up. So first, we're going to get into some background information. Like, what do we know? Um, who like Kind of get into who were the main contributors here and then what is the lasting legacy of Bounty Gate on the NFL and on the Saints. So let's get right into some background in our first segment. It's background information, background information. Everybody needs background information. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll keep that in as, like, the background information jingle. Uh, if I'm going to keep that as one of these segments. But, you know, before we, you know, can really get into this controversy, we need the background information. We need that context. So, Bounty Gate basically was, there was, according to many people later to be proven, uh, in many NFL locker rooms, there was kind of like a system. Basically, it was informal bonuses paid out by players or teams to purposely hurt other players on the other on the teams they were playing. So, 
apparently this was like a big thing. Players have said that this has been going on for decades and that at least 30 to 40% of, you know, players participated. They said it usually was like off the books and that it used to be like between like player and player. Like, so someone would be like, hey man, like I'll give, pay you, like I bet you like $2,000 you can't like knock out their quarterback. And then the guy does it, gets paid. If he doesn't, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but this isn't like a one, you know, a one team thing. It's been shown and even just based on like anonymous research that this is a thing that apparently was very common. And when you go back and you watch old highlights of the NFL, like go back and watch like the 70s and like the 80s, like Raiders. And you can go, yeah, I definitely see people paying people to just beat the crap out of each other. Because some of the hits that are done, like, I don't know why I bring up the Raiders. Maybe I'm thinking of John Madden, another person who recently passed away. And you you see how they tackle. And it's brutal. It's just like a forearm across the throat. It's like NFL blitz come to life. That's probably the best explanation I can give you. You know, without the leg drops and everything. But it is just rough. And so I definitely can see that. People being like, hey, man, uh, if you knock out their you know, running back, here's some money. And also, let's, you know, the pay scale isn't as much as it is today. Like, I think if we went back in time and we told the guys in the 70s, like, hey, there's a quarterback who's going to be making, you know, if he fulfills this whole contract, he's going to make half a billion dollars. How do you feel? And they're probably looking at you like, what? Like, if we told them Patrick Mahomes' contract, like, they would lose their mind. If we told them Sam Bradford's contract, like, talk about, tell, like, if you told them his career earnings, and be like, oh, like, he must have been really good. Like, no, it was okay. Like, I love Sam Bradford just because, like, it is the definition of, like, grifting is what he did. He, like, got multiple organizations to give him so much money. Him and Jamarcus Russell are the reason that like the NFL draft how they slot in like how much money you can get it's because of them the amount of money those two got paid and that they were good the NFL was like no we can't do this anymore uh because if like if you remember like they would negotiate and I'm trying to remember but like I know Sam Bradford got like an ungodly amount of money but hey props to you I'm not going to I think all athletes you know you know secure the bag your body is your only way of making money when that time is up that athleticism is gone that money dries up so hey make as much as you can so I'm not gonna hold anything against Sam Bradford uh Chase Daniel is another one who he's a like a career backup he played for the Bears and I think his career earnings is something in like the 30 million dollars and until uh, he played a few games after Mitch Trubisky got hurt, he had made more millions than he had made passes in the NFL, which is just amazing. It just kind of like seems like then like when I heard that, I was like, what a dream that would be to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. Like, I don't want to play. I just want to be holding that clipboard, wearing a hat, collecting a few million dollars. And then if you got to go in, hopefully the team's bad. Like, I don't want to be the guy who has to hop in for Aaron Rodgers. But, like, if the team's bad and I'm making a few million dollars and i got to hop in every once in a while, eh, that's okay. Uh, But, yeah, backup quarterbacks, transitioning back to what we're talking about, are important when there apparently are 
teams and players who are just going out of the way to hurt other players. And so it had been going on for a long time. Uh, but apparently these Saints, um, all the way from, like I said, it's from 2009 to 2011, had escalated it. And unfortunately for them, got caught. Because basically in 2010, an investigation started and there was basically an anonymous player who basically just told them that said, hey, the Saints had targeted Kurt Warner and Brett Favre in two games and basically had an advertised program that basically had like a list. And it was like how much for each injury. Like, hey, if you break his arm, you get this much. If you do this, you do this much. And so the NFL, I think it was one of those things of like they knew what was going on. Um, if I hadn't already mentioned it before, like they sent out a memo each year that says like make sure like don't hurt each other on purpose. Like it makes the game look worse. So the NFL's is like always reminding them like don't do this, okay? But apparently like the Saints just made it so clear and apparent and left so much of like a paper trail basically. I think for the NFL, it was just like, damn it, like we we can't ignore it. It's just like basically like committing a crime in front of a police officer, just waving your arms back and forth. You know, it could be a crime the cop doesn't want to deal with. Maybe it's jaywalking. But if you keep on waving your arms in front of him, be like, hey, police officer, sir, sir, sir. Eventually, it's got to be like, fine, like, here's your ticket. Shut up. So the NFL investigated. Um, it started in 2010. And basically, it was just the response. There was an allegation, basically, that they were deliberately attempting to injure people in the playoffs in 2009-2010. The defensive coordinator at that time was a guy named Greg Williams. And they basically said, right when he got there in 2009, uh, he had made this program and that basically almost the entire defense was involved. Uh, I believe the number I saw was like 22 out of 27 or 28 were involved. So basically the entire team. Um, And basically they put all their money together. Like they pulled a bunch of money and then they created these bonuses basically to, you know, hurt people. Uh, They said that Sean Payton knew about it and that the GM failed to shut it down. And then so it doesn't seem like... um, I don't know how much Sean Payton really was involved in it, but he definitely knew enough that he tried to cover it up. So it's, you know, it's never good when there's a cover up involved. And then there is that, you know, kind of look on the GM where it's like, okay, you didn't shut this down. It's kind of uh, a good parallels, like the Astros cheating scandal. Like even with some people who weren't involved, the fact that you, if you knew about it, if you didn't stop it, or if it happened under your watch and you didn't stop it, like, neither is a good look. Being like, you know, trying to cover it up is bad. Letting it happen under your watch is bad. Not knowing it's happening is bad. <laughs> so nobody looked good in this situation. Uh, and, you know, the allegations when you then go back and you look at those two games... Uh, you know, one uh, against the Cardinals and then the other against the Vikings, it definitely looks like they're trying to, like, they're trying, like, not as much Warner. I didn't see that much from Warner, like, his game, like, them trying to injure him just because I don't feel like they got to him as much. But that Vikings game, 
against Brett Favre, they knock the crap out of him. Like, it is brutal. And if you've ever seen the images of, like, Brett Favre's body, careful how you search that up on the internet because we know about what else Brett Favre later did in his career. Uh, but, like, the bruises and just, like, how his... I remember it was, like, I think it's his ankle. His ankle was so fucked up. It, like, it was so bruised out in his thigh. I just remember thinking... It's kind of a good thing you didn't make the Super Bowl because I don't think you would have been able to play. Like, I know Brett Fire was, like, from the old guard. He was, like, you know, he was a tough dude. Or, like, you know, and he'll probably stubborn. So I'm sure he would have played, but I'm sure it would not have been good for him. Uh, I know, like, with Fire when his career ended, Corey Wooten tackled him. Uh, it was the one year, it was one of the years they were playing at Minnesota, the University of Minnesota Stadium, because this was after the old Minnesota Stadium, like, collapsed on itself with the snow. And so I remember, it's like, it's, I remember watching the game. It's, like, super cold out, and Corey Wooten, who, Corey Wooten, I hold up, there's a place in my heart for him, like, a bad place in my heart, because uh, I went to Iowa, and he ruined our perfect season by breaking Ricky Stanzi's ankle. So I just, he just, apparently he's just, he's just there to take out people. I don't think on purpose, obviously. But Corey Wooden tackles Brett Favre, just knocks him out. And apparently he just like, Brett Favre woke up like later, came back to it. And someone's like, he was like, did I get knocked out? And they're like, yep. He's like, okay. And then apparently like he, he ate like two chili dogs. He just walked off into the sunset. So Brett Favre just seems like the type of dude who would have just like kept going. And he would have played in that if he, you know, would have made it to the uh, to the Super Bowl. But, of course, he made that terrible throw. Then they lose in overtime. But, yeah, the scandal comes out, and they start looking into it. They find, basically, this sheet that basically has, like, all the different, like I said, all the different injuries and how much you get paid for it. And they just listen to testimony, and they basically say, okay, you guys definitely did this. There has to be some repercussions here. We have to let people know that this isn't okay. So a lot of suspensions for players and coaches involved were, you know, you know, given out by the commissioner. And here's what they were. So actually, I lied. Let's pump the brakes. I'm not going to tell you about who got suspended yet because I feel like I'm skipping to the end of the movie if I do that. Let's talk a little bit more about this investigation. So... The reason it was so important is because the NFL had a really bad image problem at this time, and it still does. It has There's a ton of image problems wrong with the NFL, but specifically like with the organization of the NFL and Roger Goodell, it had a major problem with the discipline. Either they didn't, they didn't discipline enough, it was they disciplined too hard, or they waited too long. Those were usually the three issues, like what they did, they didn't get punished enough, or like this was an overreaction, or why did you wait so long? And so the NFL is sitting there basically with this live grenade in their hand. They're like, we got to take care of this now before this blows up on us. And another added factor into that is as the investigation starts, and there's 18,000 pages of documents, there's sworn affidavits, all these things. I always say affidavits, like, you know, like my name. I don't know why. Uh, But all these things start coming out. Some players start to hire attorneys. A lot of them probably have access to one, usually with an agent. Usually they'll have, you know, an attorney in their organization. And basically they all start, you know, 
you know, lining up lawsuits saying like, hey, I'm going to sue the NFL, I'm going to sue the Saints, I'm going to sue Sean Payton and anyone else who's involved in Bounty Gate because I got hurt in a game against the Saints and they did it on purpose and that lost me possible money. And the NFL is looking like that like, shit, we got to take care of this now. So this investigation ramps up and all this information, like I said, 18,000 pages of documents come out. And one of the big ones that comes out is the ledger. And the ledger basically tells everyone, like, how much, like, was each terrible thing they do worth? So let's start off first with where did the money come from? I kind of mentioned this earlier. Players put in money. Coaches put in money. Even Reggie Bush's agent put in ten grand into this pot of money. But some of the things they got rewarded for, so... The, like, the first thing that's on the list is actually not even a bad thing. It's if a special teamer downs a ball inside of the 20-yard line, like on a punt, he gets 100 bucks. Oh, that's not bad. It doesn't hurt anybody. That helps the team. Uh, very close next on the list is $1,000 for carting off a player or 15 not 15 uh, well, I guess $1,500. I was going to say 15000 $1,500 for knocking out a player. And apparently these bonuses were doubled or tripled if the team, uh, if this was the playoffs. And to think about that, for an NFL player to get, like, carted off, like, when I think about this year, the like, besides, I think, like, Dalvin Cook, who I remember he got carted off for, like, an, a shoulder injury, which he came back later for, the only time you see people get carted off is, like, a bad leg injury or a really bad head injury. Like, I don't know how many times this year I saw people get knocked out and going to that fencing position. It's kind of, if you've ever seen a, a football player or even anyone get knocked out so bad, like all their like limbs stiffen, it's like a, it's called like the fencing position. It's basically, it's the body's way of protecting itself. And I've seen that happen so many times and it's terrifying just cause you're just like, oh my God, like the body has just go instantly into survival mode. And the Saints are rewarding people for doing that. Instead of like being like, oh, right, we got to care about these people. It's like, hey, congratulations, you just got one grand. Or maybe it's a playoffs, you got two or three grand. That's super messed up. So that ledger comes out, and that makes it worse. Then there's more stories that come out for games that weren't even originally in the first investigation. Like when it started, they were mostly just looking into these two playoff games. Then more stuff comes out. There comes out about a 2011 Bears game. Jay Cutler gets sacked six times. Not uncommon uncommon for Jay Cutler's time in Chicago because Jay Cutler sometimes held onto the ball too long. And then also, when he was with the Bears, his offensive line usually wasn't that good. I don't know. We have a bad, like, we've been having a lot of bad offensive lines lately. But that's not the point. During the game, basically, Jay Cutler loses his voice because one of the Saints players kicks him in the throat. Uh, there is another, you know, there is another quarterback, Josh Freeman, who used to be the quarterback for the Buccaneers, who basically said it was super common for dirty hits to be happening against the Saints. And there's just more and more of these stories, and it's a real bad look. It also comes out that before the NFC title game, uh, Jonathan Vilma said, and he offered up $10,000 to anyone who knocked out uh, Brett Favre. And he becomes the player face of this. You have the two coaches. You have got Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, Sean Payton, 
and then it's Jonathan Vilma. Who are the three guys? And I do, and I say this, you know, keeping in mind knowing he is a part of it, I do feel like a little bit bad for Jonathan Vilma because he kind of became like the main face of this where you know it wasn't just him involved. But he was so like steadfast in like his denials about everything that the NFL, I think, was just determined to like, you really want to keep on denying this? Like, fine. Like, we're just going to punish you extra. And it's not like he didn't deserve it. He was offering people money to hurt people. And if you, once again, like if you go back and watch that Vikings versus Saints NFC title game, there were definitely a few of those guys who were definitely going for that 10 grand. So you can't say he didn't deserve to be punished, but I feel like he became the face of the player side of it for the NFL to punish. The very, very bad party in this is Greg Williams. So basically, during the investigation, it is found out that Greg's, Greg Williams, when he was in Washington, when he was in Houston, he was in Tennessee, like all his stops along the way, he had set up bounty systems. All these different players come out, which kind of shows you uh, there's a lot of people who probably just didn't like him, who basically said that, yeah, like Greg Williams had these systems like when we played for him too. So, for example, one of his biggest payouts was apparently he would give $8,000 for something called a kill shot that would knock out opposing players. And this was between 2004 and 2007. He called it a kill shot. The fact that Greg Williams ever got back into the NFL is a kind of amazing. Like, the fact that, like, they, he was allowed to call it that. He gave out money for, these, for this type of shit. And then someone's like, yeah, let's bring him back in. And, like, it's not like he was a very good defensive coordinator. Like, he had some good years, but he's not like, you know, Buddy Ryan here. You know, I don't understand how he kept on getting jobs. Uh, but, yeah, there are tons of different players who basically just come out and say, like, yeah, he did this when I played for him, too. Uh, the worst part that came out for him, though, was a leaked, basically, pump-up speech he gave to his defense. And it's right before... Uh, and it gets caught on tape by, like, a documentary film crew. And Williams basically grabs the defense uh, right before they're heading out uh, on the field before the 2012 divisional playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers. And he tells them to injure, like, several 49er players, like, deliberately. He tells, they tell them to knock out the running back, to try and tear Crab, Michael Crabtree's ACL, uh, injure Vernon Davis's ankles, and go after kick returner Kyle Williams specifically because he has a history of concussions. I don't mean to laugh, but it is so messed up. And then last but not least, he uh, basically put a bounty on Alex Smith. And then basically this is what he said. So here is the quote. So he has already told all of his players. And uh, he's basically like, all right, tear Crabtree's ACL you know, break or, you know, ruin Vernon Davis's ankles, go after, uh, go after Kyle Williams, because uh, he's a history of concussions. And once again, I don't mean to laugh. I don't find it funny uh, what he did. I find it funny of how dumb he is to be saying this in front of a camera and not realizing, even if you don't realize the camera crew's right there, you should realize that, like, one of those players is definitely mic'd up. And you're just saying all this stuff. And so this is the quote, what he says about Alex Smith. And this is, you know, to paraphrase, they said, then he rubs his thumb against his index and middle finger, the cash shine and says, 
I got the first one. I got the first one. Go get it. Go lay that motherfucker out. That was his basically his speech uh, to go lay out Alex Smith. So all of this stuff comes out. There's, you know, once again, federal judges are involved. Attorneys, $18,000, 18,000 pages of documents. There are players now threatening to sue because of, you know, they basically they said like, hey, I lost money because now I have this injury that I got because these guys were deliberately trying to hurt me. And everything reaches ahead. And basically we have, like I kind of alluded to earlier, some sanctions that are put into place. Some suspensions. And these are what they are. So first, uh, Greg Williams was suspended. So this all happened on March 21st of 2012. Uh, Greg Williams was suspended indefinitely. It was banned from applying for reinstatement until the end of the 2012 season at the earliest. Sean Payton, who even though he wasn't as bad apparently, like um, like through everything that we've read about this, Sean Payton like wasn't actively involved, but he knew about it and like covered it up. So once again, like not to equate them, it's like, no, officer, I didn't kill the person. I just helped bury the body. It's like, well, dude, like you maybe didn't do it, but you, you still help with part of it. So you're still guilty. And also it's happening under your watch. Uh, so Sean Payton, uh, he suspended for the entire 2012 season. He is the first head coach in modern NFL history to be suspended for any reason. It's crazy, which I thought like it definitely would have happened earlier, but never did. Uh, Loomis, who was the GM, was suspended for the first eight games of the 2012 season. And then the Vit, who was basically one of the assistants, he who, be- who became the interim head coach, uh, he suspended for the first eight games. So all of a sudden, like there is a huge hole in the coaching staff and the front office of the Saints. And then they also lose, uh, they are fined uh, $500,000, which is the max that they're allowed to be fined, uh, basically based on like league rules. So I'm sure like if they could have, they would have done more, but that's all they were allowed to do. And then they lost their uh, two, uh, they lost two second round draft picks um, in 2012 and 2013. They would have had to give up their uh, first round pick, but they had already traded it away. So they had significant, significant, not significant punishments for this, you know, this giant scandal. And it left a really bad mark on three people. Greg Williams, Sean Payton, and Jonathan Vilma. When you look back on this, we're going to talk about this next in the legacy of this. When you look back on that scandal, the three names that are brought up the most are those three guys. Sean Payton, Greg Williams, Jonathan Vilma. Drew Brees isn't mentioned. Drew Brees comes out and says he did never he said he never knew it happened. I call shenanigans on that. That locker room, I'm sure he heard something about it. I'm not saying it's his job to stop it, but to say you didn't know about it, I don't believe you. It's kind of like once, it, uh, like with the Astros. I think Verlander said he didn't know anything about it. Uh, I, I don't believe you. I'm sure you did know, and maybe, you know, Verlander for sure didn't participate. He wasn't a hitter. 
like, don't pretend like the locker room is like a big, like, you know, like I think about like the, like in an office building, you know, there's sometimes people who work on like the fourth floor who never meet people who work on the ninth floor. The defensive players have met the offensive players. I'm sure they've had a conversation out loud. I'm sure like just the nature of people. If all of a sudden like people are getting paid for injuring people, money like that's being passed around, people are going to talk about it. So I guarantee you Drew Brees probably knew about it. It's not his job to stop it, but when he says he didn't know about it, I don't believe him. But that's not the point. So all these guys are punished. They, uh, the Saints lose $500,000, and they lose two second-round draft picks. Um, we fast-forward, though, into the kind of the future here, and I want to examine the legacy that the Bounty Gate has left on those three men. So let's get into legacy and the player who let's start first with the, the players. Um, there was really only one player whose legacy was kind of severely affected by Bounty Gate, and his name was Jonathan Vilma. Um, like I mentioned before, Jonathan Vilma kind of becomes like the the player face of Bounty Gate. Like him before anyone else, which is kind of messed up. There were a lot of people on that team, but he kind of becomes the face. I think the reason it does is there's a couple reasons. One is he's the one who allegedly puts the $10,000 basically bounty on Brett Favre. And with that knowledge, when you go back and rewatch, you know, as a, as a fan, if you go back and rewatch that game with that knowledge, you're like, oh, they're definitely trying to knock him out and get that money. It's kind of like if you go rewatch a movie, you know, with a big twist like, again, when you know the twist. So, spoiler alert, for example, of The Sixth Sense. Here's your spoiler in three, two, one. If you go back and rewatch that movie now, knowing what you know about Bruce Willis's character already being dead, it's a way different movie. <laughs> uh, the same thing as going back to watch that game. Uh, going back to watch that Saints-Vikings-NFC title game, knowing there is a bounty system, you can't watch the game the same way. It's... It's gru- It's not gruesome. I'm not going to say, like, no one got murdered. But it's brutal. Um, so there were players suspended for Bounty Gate. I only told you about, like, the front office. There were four players that were suspended. And these were the suspensions that were uh, the suspended players. So there was Browns linebacker Scott Fugino. He used to play for the Saints, but then he was on the Browns. Uh, defensive end Will Smith, and then free free agent Anthony Hargrove. Uh, Anthony Hargrove got eight games, Will Smith got four, and Fujita got three. Then there was Jonathan Vilma. Jonathan Vilma got the entire season, the, the entire 2012 season. Uh, I think part of that was, this was during Roger Goodell's uh, judge, jury, and executioner phase as commissioner. He was like, whatever, this is what I think happened based on the evidence. Here's your punishment. Oh, you want to appeal? You appeal to me, and I think you're still guilty. Um, And Jonathan Velma, during this time of the investigation, was basically contradicting everything Goodell said. And he was kind of saying like, no, 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 this is what happened. You're using the facts in a way that's going to justify what you want to do instead of telling the real story. And I just don't think Roger Goodell liked that very much. Because some of the other major parties in the story basically just accepted it and said they were sorry. 
Like, Greg Williams basically admitted to what he did. Sean Payton admitted to covering it up. They realized it was going to be easier. Like It's kind of like when a, there's like an anaconda, you know, like wrapping itself around you. It's like, it is just easier if I don't try and fight this. And uh, so that's what those guys did. They basically took like, like a plea deal. Uh, but Jonathan Vilma wasn't willing to do that. To the point that he, after he was suspended, he appealed, but then he also filed his own personal slander lawsuit against Roger Goodell. Eventually, this goes to court and an arbitration board, and all the suspensions are overturned on September 7th uh, of the 2012 year. And so, everything seems great. Uh, October 9th rolls around, and Roger Goodell's like, yeah, I don't care. You're suspended again. He suspends everybody again. Eventually, uh, during this time, though, um, they lit Jonathan Vilma because he's, in the beginning of the season, he is physically unable to play. They let him keep his game checks. I think that was maybe done a little bit kind of like, hey, man, like, just sit down. Like, well, you get paid. <laughs> like, I think they just wanted to end, but Goodell wanted to come out on top as, like, the winner. But once again, the other players and Vilma were saying no. Like, that's not what we're going to let happen. So they brought in a outside arbiter, an ar- arbitrator. Uh, uh, oh. They brought in someone outside to analyze the case. I don't know. I got, like, the – I think the, was the arbiter the guy from Halo? He's from, like, Halo 2. Uh, but yeah, they bring in an outside basic judge. And this judge, to overlook the suspensions – is uh, Paul Tagliavu, who was the former commissioner of the NFL. He analyzed the suspensions, and he overruled Goodell, which I always thought was funny. If Basically, if like your old boss basically gets to come in and just like say, like, ah, never mind, just ignore him. So Jonathan Vilma was around to play the last of the season, but he's never the same player. He has injuries, and then just like no one really wants him anymore. His legacy has been tarnished because everyone just associates him with the Bounty Gate, like with Bounty Gate. Um, and once again, Jonathan Vilma is not a player who, you know, you're going to write home about. He wasn't amazing. He did have some good years. I'm not going to lie. He was a three-time Pro Bowler. He was the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2004. Uh, he is in the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame. But his stats aren't, like, nuts. Career tackles, 871. He had 10.5 quarterback sacks, 12 interceptions, 11 forced fumbles. Like, he's never going to get into the NFL Hall of Fame. He had a pretty okay career. But, once again, injuries got to him at the end. And then, yeah, there's just some teams who just, like, you, they couldn't wash, um, you know, wash you know, uh, bounty gate off of them. Just like, no, we gotta let you go. So Jonathan Vilma's legacy is hurt severely. Then we have Greg Williams. So Greg Williams' legacy, once again, is also tarnished. So he finishes out his contract with the Saints. But basically it's just decided like his, the defense isn't like statistically terrible, but they're like, you're not really performing, and, like, him and Sean Payton were just not getting along anymore. Uh, like, Sean Payton was calling him, like, a rogue coach. So they're just like, it's best if we just let you go. And so his contract expires, and he goes to St. Louis to be reunited with Jeff Fisher, who we'd worked with before. 
Uh, he gets announced as the defensive co- coordinator on February 3rd, 2000, uh, 2012. But about a month later, March 21st, he's suspended for the rest of the year. Fast forward to January 2nd of 2013, he's fired from St. Louis without ever working basically a day for them. Um, he hops around to multiple different spots. I think his biggest impact is probably he goes to Cleveland in 2017 as the defensive coordinator. Um, but then 2018, Hugh Jackson's fired, and he's made the interim coach. And they actually do halfway decent behind him. They get a 5-3 and three record, and people are like, hey, should he be the head coach? Eventually, they give it to Freddie Kitchens. Some people think it's because like they thought maybe the offensive progress was happening because of Freddie Kitchens. And there are some people who pointed out at the time, and even articles that I read about, it's just like they couldn't, the bounty gate stuff was too much for them to get over. Um, he then, once again, he coached for the Jets, flamed out there, and he's out of the league now. He's probably not coming back to the league. One, because no, like the, the league has changed. No, people, like, there are so many of these guys who are friends with each other, and they don't really want to hurt each other and like end their careers. They understand it's a business. So his mentality of playing doesn't really fit in anymore. And also, just historically, he wasn't that good. So his legacy, like of a kind of being like a middling coach, is then just hurt by being kind of a dirtbag. And then let's go to our last person on our list, and that's Sean Payton. So Sean Payton got suspended for the entire year. He lost 5.8 of his $7.1 million salary. So $5.8 million out of 7.1. Sorry, I shouldn't just say like he didn't lose $5.08. He lost $5.8 million out of a $7.1 million yearly contract. He also wasn't allowed to talk to anyone in the NFL for the entire year, which is super crazy. Like sometimes when a player can't play for a year or does something like – they take time off. Like the, you'll see people like they'll go all of a sudden work for ESPN for a little bit. Maybe if they're hurt, take some time off. Like you'll see like NBA players like once their team is eliminated, like they'll go do some uh, NBA and TNT stuff for a little bit. He was not allowed to do any of that, Sean Payton, and he had to sit out for a year. And you know his team struggled without him, and then kind of just watched his name get dragged in the mud basically saying like how could you let this happen then you tried to cover it up it was a bad look for him uh during this time uh he went and coached uh his son's sixth grade football team um and they uh basically his and he basically said he used a simplified simplified version of the saints playbook and they went unbeaten until losing at the end of the regular season to a team that ran, uh, like, the single-wing offense, uh, which they, they, they couldn't stop, uh, which I just think is, like, really funny. Like, he was just like, I need to coach. Who am I going to coach? Okay, a bunch of sixth graders. What should I use? Should I use, like, a basic, like, handoff here? Like, no. Let's use my NFL playbook. It's crazy. And now they're making uh, – there's, like, a Kevin James movie coming out about it, which is really funny that they have uh, – I just I just think about like Billy Bean got you know Brad Pitt and then Kevin James is playing Sean Payton. I shouldn't laugh because Kevin James would play me in a movie. I'm not gonna say I'm in the best of shape. I'm not gonna say I'm in the worst of shape, but you know, kind of feels like a dig at Sean Payton. Like, who should we get to play Sean Payton? Uh, Kevin James. Maybe they're friends. Who knows? Um, but yeah, he then he comes back to the Saints the following year after he's reinstated, 
and he has a pretty solid career. He's still going right now. Um, some people think he's kind of at the end of his time with the Saints, but if you look at the rest of his years, he comes back to the Saints. They go eleven and five. They have three bad years in a row: seven and nine, seven and nine, seven and nine, and then 2017, 11 and five; 2018, thirteen and three; 2019, thirteen and three; 2020. 12 and 4 and this year they're 8 and 8 with one game left where they've had like it feels like they've had at least four different quarterbacks. You know, then Ian Book, I don't know if he should even count. Um, but he's had a solid career. I think it has been hurt a little bit by Bounty Gate, but not as much as Jonathan Villeman and Greg Williams is. And I think the big reason why is Sean Payton has proven himself to be very very good at his job. You know, unfortunately, as like kind of like a callback all the way back to the beginning of this episode where I kind of made fun of Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown keeps on getting chances, even though he has done some terrible things in his personal life and showed himself to be not the most professional player at times. The reason he gets more and more chances is because he is an elite wide receiver and has been for most of his career. If Sean Payton was a middling coach... If he was Matt Nagy, he wouldn't be getting more shots. He would have, after that Bounty Gate scandal, he would have been out of the NFL forever. But because he's Sean Payton, who has successfully run a great offense with sometimes not the best parts, but just like a really good quarterback, he's going to keep on getting chances. Like they were looking like they were going to have a great year with Jameis Winston this year until Jameis Winston tore his ACL. And then they did okay with Trevor Simeon. And then Trevor Simeon just turned back into Trevor Simeon. And then, like, just all these different things happened. But that's the reason that I feel like it's it's unfair that, you know, Jonathan Vilma... Greg Williams is not unfair to him, but, like, that Jonathan Jonathan Vilma kind of has this bringing him down a little bit. uh, And not Sean Payton, because it happened under his watch. But it's just kind of one of those things. If someone is successful for a long time, sometimes we ignore... Um, their, you know, lesser attractive attributes. We look over them. We're like, ah, you know, you know, that's just how they are. You know, we looked over Manny Ramirez, for example, his problems. Oh, it's Manny being Manny. Manny's being lazy in left field, and he's like, he's always he's missing right now. Well, it's Manny being Manny. The reason why Manny can be Manny is because he's cranking out forty five home runs and like one hundred thirty RBIs a year. When you win consistently 11, 13, 13, 12 games a year and you bring a Super Bowl, you get a little bit more leeway than being a middling defensive coordinator or a slightly above average linebacker. So legacy-wise, it really hurt Vilma's. It really hurt Greg Williams. I don't think it is severe. I don't think it's severely tarnished Sean Payton's. But I think it has eliminated his chance of ever making it in the Hall of Fame. I don't think he will just because I don't think he's had that good of a coaching career. Like if he continues for another like 20 years and he stays at this pace, maybe. But I think it this is going to be something that's definitely held against him when he's trying to go in the Hall of Fame. Uh, because once again, there's some there's going to be some people in the hall who are in the Hall of Fame now and by the time he's in who were affected by that scandal. And they may not want to bring him in. So it'll be curious to find out uh, how that plays out. And we'll see that in the future. But that is it 
for this Bounty Gate episode. But thank you all again for listening to another episode of Whatever Wando. Uh, please follow us on social media, at Whatever Wando on Twitter, at Whatever underscore Wando on Instagram. And join us next week as we cover another controversy. This week it is into the world of international football, or into, uh, international soccer, for those of us in America. And we're going to cover Diego Maradona and the Hand of God goal. See you guys next Wednesday.